0: I guess we're started. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. Let's all stand together here in Green Bay, as well as our campus who are joining us, uh, Appleton Stevens Point, home group studies, at home watching, and those who watch online. Let's open in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your kindness and grace. We thank you for the truth that comes from your word. We pray that you would enlighten your word to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. And I think they pass an offering bucket here in Green Bay. Uh, Welcome and Merry Christmas. Hope you're having a good Christmas. If you're not, (laughs) you're not alone. (laughs) It's not not always the most merriest time of the year for some people, but it's okay. Good or bad, easy or hard, we belong to Jesus. All right, so we are in the book of Acts. We uh, give you a little recap, mini recap here. The gospel, Jesus goes into heaven. They start preaching the gospel in Jerusalem. They start going around. They start getting up into Samaria, preaching around there. But they're kind of hanging around here pretty much. Oops, sorry, just around here. Uh, Then persecution comes. They start spreading out all over the place. Persecution is coming primarily from a guy named Saul, who is from Tarsus up here. Uh, The church spreads out all over the place. He's persecuting them. He wants to go to Damascus to persecute the Christians there. On the way there, it's implied that it's pretty close to being there. Uh, He gets knocked down. Jesus reveals himself to him. He has this dramatic conversion experience. And uh, Saul eventually becomes Paul, the apostle who's preaching the gospel, winds up in Antioch. Uh, And uh, then uh, Paul and Barnabas go off in what is known as Paul's first missionary journey which is kind of just a little circular trip around here. Uh, gets about as far as here, and then loops back around, comes back home. <clears throat> They're here for, I don't know, two, three years. Uh, Paul hears about Jewish brothers who are coming in behind him and telling all these new converts, because not only are Jewish converts, but there's lots of non-Jewish converts. So is just the opening salvos of how much the gospel is taking off among Gentiles, which is anybody who's not Jewish. Most of you here, I presume, are all Gentiles. uh, They come along and say, listen, you've got to become Jewish. You've got to get circumcised. You've got to obey all the laws of Moses and stuff. Paul hears about it. He is livid. He sends off this flaming letter, the letter of uh, Galatians, which is to these people in Galatia here, and just reams them, for getting off track and allowing themselves to get sucked back into an old system, uh, that we are supposed to move on. He makes a brilliant argument about why Christians do not live by the Old Testament law, but by grace. They were absolutely obsessed with the fact that you had to be justified by the law. Paul makes the brilliant argument that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs of the faith, the Jewish faith, which all the Jews consider themselves children of Abraham, says, hey, that was 430 years before the law even showed up. So how do they get justified? He's pointing out that they were all justified by faith. We're all justified by faith. The law was just there to keep everybody in line, but now that Christ has come, the Spirit of God is writing his law on our hearts, and now we respond uh, to righteousness uh, through the Spirit. And, uh, and anyway, he's just really furious. So he gets done Uh, Finally, they uh, all go down to Jerusalem for this big powwow, and it's finally decided, Gentile Christians do not have to obey the law of Moses. Only a few things. We have to avoid food that is sacrificed to idols, uh, which obviously is not a problem uh, in the present age. Uh, We're not supposed to be drinking (laughs) blood which is a little weird, or eating blood, which some cultures actually do. Christians are not supposed to do that. All tie-overs from the Old Testament. Uh, stay away from uh, sexual immorality. What uh, Was there a fourth one? I can't remember. It's all a blur. <laughs> let, me, let me read. Stay from food, sacrifice to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, animals that are not, sacri- you know, they usually bleed out animals in butcher shops and stuff. Before we eat them. Uh, there are some cultures that don't bleed out the animals. Again, a little kind of gross, but uh, we're supposed to stay away from that. And sexual immorality. So that's basically it. So now they're going around and they're they're so happy and they're coming back and they're celebrating. They come back to Antioch and they tell everybody: all right, everybody now is on the same page. We don't have to obey the law of Moses. Thanks be to God. Uh, although the Jewish brothers pretty much continued to live as Jews, and they continued to do that. This was just for those who were not of the Jewish faith that were coming to Jesus, um, which in the beginning was a minority. In the beginning, all the Christians were Jewish, all through Judea here, and every time they went to preach the gospel, the first place they went to was always the synagogue, presented the gospel to the Jews first. Many of them believed, but then a lot of opposition started coming from some of the Jewish uh, hierarchy and started giving them a hard time. Anyway, so they go back to Antioch. They're all happy. Then uh, they're about to decide and say, let's go back and visit these guys that we saw before. All right, so we pick this up in chapter 15, verse 36. Now, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, there are these buds, all right? They're going everywhere. And they say, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Now, what's of real interest to this, particularly to people who are, uh, I call them hyper-spiritual. I don't think they're spiritual at all. I just think they're filled with their own thoughts. By the way, every thought that flies in your head isn't God, all right? You actually have your own thoughts, All right? Everybody think every thought they have is God telling them something to do. Just check your medication, okay? Not everything is God. Uh, And we don't have to wait until God tells us to do something before we do something, which is really highly irritating to me, the millions of Christians that sit around and don't do anything with their lives because they're waiting for God to tell them what to do. And I could talk for hours on how that irritates me (laughs) and how errant it is. It's just false. Now, They're quick to point out at Paul's first missionary journey, they're praying, and someone feels led of the Holy Spirit to say, you know, God wants you to go on this journey. So they went. Well, you notice here, God's not saying anything to them. And they just decide, let's go back. You don't have to wait for God to tell you what to do. We're supposed to look at what to do and do it, all right? Look at what's obvious before. You don't need a revelation to decide whether or not you're going to volunteer to change poopy diapers on Sunday morning or be a usher or serve in any different area. You don't need a revelation. Just if you have the opportunity, you know you can do it. Someone's asking you to do it, do it. You don't need a revelation. Don't. None of this nonsense of, well, I'm just waiting for the Lord to tell me what to do. You're going to find yourself in big trouble someday if you don't stop such crazy thinking. The good news is we have very little of that thinking around here because I always talk about it. <laughs> I can't stand it. it, drives me nuts. So we, we just, we see the opportunities before us, we make thoughts and, and we, we go forward. And God, you know, opens and closes doors. He has all kinds of ways of uh, uh, guiding and leading us which I'll talk to a little bit more in just a minute here. So anyway, no revelation, just they say, man, let's go back and visit everybody. Seems like a reasonable thing to do. It's been a couple of th- years, three years, whatever. Let's go back, visit these brothers, and encourage them in their faith. So Barnabas wanted to take John. You remember John, who's also called Mark. We call him John Mark, so we all know who the heck we're talking about. This is back in, uh, you don't have to find it up on the screen here, but uh, this is back in Acts uh, is it? I don't know where it is. <laughs> They're going along, John, and, uh, on their first missionary journey. At some point, it says, uh, here it is, chapter 13, verse 13. Uh, From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Persia and Pamphylia, where John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Sounds like, oh, I got to go back, check my mail. You know, I mean, it's, it's not a big deal. Well, then we find out later that it was a big deal. He didn't just leave them. He deserted them. So Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with him, but Paul didn't think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and, not had, and had not continued with them in the work. Well, now that's a little bit different. And I have to tell you, this happens a lot in biblical writing. I don't know if it's the writing style of thousands of years ago. The Old Testament has a lot of this where something happens and you got to keep reading to find out really what happened. They'll write in a way like, this thing happened. Oh, okay, it happened, and then later. Oh, and then they give all sorts of details of what had happened that they told you in the first place. Again, especially in the Old Testament, but even here we see it. Here's the thing, John goes back to wherever, Jerusalem, and then we find out later that, oh, what actually happened was, it just is, I don't know, it seems to happen a lot, whereas, I suppose if I was smarter, I'd know the answers to these things. I don't know. It's just, maybe it's a cultural thing. I don't know. I have no idea. Usually, in our way of communicating, we would say somebody did something and why they did it right up front. If we were writing the story, we'd say, of course, we give more detail. John, you know, he missed his mom, and he wanted to go back, and they said, you really shouldn't go back, but he went back anyway, and it kind of irritated Paul, and he went back, and you know, boom, then everything would make sense to us, right? That's kind of the way we talk. They don't write this way. Anyway, so apparently John missed his mom. I don't know why he left. All we know is he dumped them and took off. Well, it kind of irritated Paul. Paul didn't like that. And uh, by now, apparently they would all huggy kissy by then, and, and John marks back with them. And even here, we don't know why he left them. Uh, just that Paul's really ticked about it. He's back in the fold. He's there. Barnabas says, let's go, man. Yeah, I'm all for it. And uh, let's take John with us again. And Paul says, no. I don't want to take him. Because he's a squirrel. And he dumped us before. And I don't want to take him. Uh, So, the verse 39. Check this out. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. And then Paul took Silas and left. So, Apparently, they have this big falling out. Now, they don't hate each other. You can't hate people and be a follower of Jesus. You can, however, have people that really irritate the snot out of you. (laughs) Which is a relief to many right now, I'm sure, listening to me. Doesn't mean God. There's some people that just irritate you, right? Some of you, I do that to you. I don't know. You say it a distance. It is what it is. Not everybody's all huggy and kissy with everybody. There are people you really like, there's people you kind of like, and there's people you really got to pray to get around because they really, they really just, you know, like on the, anyway. So, Paul and Barnabas have this big boo-hoo and they split company. We read later where Paul will refer to to Barnabas and does not refer to him in a negative way. Refers to him as an apostle and stuff like that. And I believe at some point, Paul even eventually concedes to John Mark. Am I, is that right? He at some point said, yeah, okay. In my 60s now. So anyway, uh, so even Paul at some point, we'll see it when we get to that letter, uh, later in his life said, oh, okay, and St. John Mark, he's okay. You know, so, so they all make peace at some point. Again, they're not hating each other. You can't hate people. But sometimes there's some, you just can't live with some people. You can't get along with some people. Sometimes, even in a church situation, and churches, you know, we, we tried. It used to be churches really held tightly on people and just if you left our church, you're going to hell. You know, that kind of mentality. and Right? A oh, man, anybody raised in that kind of environment? These geezers here, I don't know, apparently nobody else. There's some few of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You left that church. It was, ah, they're going to hell, and now you're doomed for eternity. And, you know, it's like, whoa, relax. You're not doomed for eternity. If you leave this church, you're not doomed for eternity. You are, however, deprived of my smiling face. On a regular basis. But so, I mean, at some point, you just you just can't take it anymore. And people leave, some of you have left other churches and come here. We love that when that happens. <laughs> that's God. That's the will of God there, right? When you leave, that's not God. I don't know what happened there. So, and even then, we know. Somebody left, why? Because we ticked them off or something. And it is what it is. You know, we uh, <laughs> we've often considered a celebration church to be a feeder church to many of the other congregations in town. <laughs> Which people feel, come to church, they get excited, they love it here. I tick them off, then they leave, and the other churches are so happy to see them. You know, so they kind of we feed them along the way. We're trying to do a better job of that. I'm trying not to irritate as many people. <laughs> I'm trying. It may not ever appear like it. But we're trying to communicate and let you know why we're doing something because we all know if you change a program in the church, that's the end of the world. So I'm trying to be more sensitive. (laughs) I'm just not very good at it. All right. And the other churches are always glad. Okay, so it is what it is. It's fine. You're not going to hell because you left your previous church, all right? Now, if you hate your previous church and are full of bitterness, ugliness, unforgiveness, you're kind of on your own there, all right? I, that's a bad thing. You can't do that, even if you got to leave them, okay? Uh, and, and, and I challenge people who leave us, you know, hey, you're going to leave, leave, but don't get all mad and bitter and angry, and I can't ever see you, and I can't stand those people, I see him in town, you know, as soon as we give me eye contact, I quick look You know, it's really, just relax. It's fine. Not everybody can get along with everybody. We actually even see this in some of Paul's letters that he'll write later, pleading with the different brothers in the church to get along. And he names them by name, you know. At least our sins will be soon forgotten, <laughs> these guys. Their transgressions <laughs> are forever emblazoned in the scriptures for all eternity. Yeah, that's me, that's me. You know, when we see him in heaven. I know, I know. He irritated me. I couldn't stand him. He was such a jerk. But uh, so it happens. It just it, it is what it is, okay? Uh, so I'm not encouraging you to dismiss people. I'm just saying it happens and it can be appropriate and you don't have to get all nasty about it. So. Barnabas took Mark and sails for Cyprus. So he starts out on the path they originally took. Um, Paul, well, I'm not going your path. I'm going my own path. <laughs> so Paul goes this way. And he takes this new guy that we learned about from that big powwow they had in Jerusalem. When they went back, they sent a guy along with him named Silas. Silas. So up until this point, you've always, you'll hear Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. From here on, you don't hear Paul and Barnabas anymore. From here now, it's always Paul and Silas. And uh, some of the old gospel songs, we'll talk about either Paul and Barnabas or Paul and Silas. So this is why they don't, they're not working together anymore. So Paul chooses Silas and he leaves. Commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord, which I think is kind of interesting. I mean, <laughs> Was Barnabas not commended <laughs> to the work of the Lord? Uh, you have to understand, Luke uh, is, is, uh, follows Paul all the way through. In fact, Luke joins Paul in a little bit. And I'll show you how we can tell that he joined, even though he doesn't say it, but uh, you'll, you'll see how we know that he did. Uh, so anyway, Barnabas sets off down here. Uh, church history, again, speaks very highly of Barnabas, always does. Uh, he was never considered in the early church as some kind of reprobate or something. They were highly esteemed. Uh, he has his own epistle called the, I think it's the Epistle of Barnabas. Do you ever read that? I tried reading it. It's just like, uh, anyway. So, But uh, uh, so they, they, they highly respected him. And it's interesting, according to church history, this is where Barnabas dies, now, not on this trip. So apparently he's here and he goes back and he eventually, you know, obviously he's a guy who keeps going back and he's well received by the brothers at some point according to church history he comes back to the island of Cyprus and that's where he's martyred at some point somebody gets ticked off about something they kill him so, uh, so anyway that's where he goes and then Paul uh, you know they, they did the easy way before taking a boat uh, now they, they're walking so he takes uh, Silas and says he goes through Syria and Cilicia Strengthening the churches. So he's coming up here. Uh, this still is part of S- S- Syria. So there, and this is Cilicia hero. So it's here, but all this in here. So he goes over here to his doesn't mention it, but to his hometown of Tarsus. Uh, so anyway, Paul in the verse next verse, chapter 16, verse 1, Paul came to Derby and to Lystra, where uh, a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer but whose father was a Greek. uh, And it never mentions the father ever being a believer, as far as I can tell. So here we have a a devout Christian woman who is Jewish. Remember, Paul had preached the gospel here in Derby, in Lystra. And he said he comes to this lady and their family and whatever, who are believers. Undoubtedly, they became believers the first time he went around there. Okay, so he comes and he meets this lady. She's a very devout. Uh, Paul meets Timothy, really likes Timothy. He becomes a major player in church history. Uh, we have two letters to Timothy in the New Testament, which we'll eventually get to Timothy 1, Timothy 2, and how this young preacher is encouraged uh, by the apostle uh, in his life. And uh, Paul specifically mentions of the faith of the mother and of the grandmother. So apparently there's a strong matriarchal influence uh, in this. Uh, I know sometimes women get all upset, mad, because they're great believers and the women in their families are great, but the boys, the husbands are like dorks, spiritual dunces, and they never quite get it and never become uh, believers. And that's fine. <laughs> I mean, not fine for them personally, but I mean, you can still be a successful Christian even if you have a spouse who is not, is the point. Paul also will write about that in great detail when we get to his letter to the Corinthians in a section of the Bible that to this day gives me a headache every time I read it. You'll see when we get there. uh, Circular arguments that he's making. It's like, what are you talking about? But uh, he mentions specifically that if you're married to an unbeliever, an unbelieving husband or an unbelieving wife, as long as they're willing to be a husband and wife to you, shut up. That's what he says. Just shut up and leave them alone. Now, I'm not saying if they're out there committing adultery. I'm talking about if they just want to be a normal husband and wife. They just don't want to go to church with you. They don't want to believe in God and everything else. What oh, about children, the children? Apparently, the children can be fine. Because Timothy is a devout first century Christian who has a major role. And his mom was a Christian. His grandma was a Christian. And dad was, as far as we know, a pfft. All right. Just agree. All right, now, the believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Timothy, that's what we're talking about. That's the context here. He meets Timothy, great mom, granny as well, we'll read later. Uh, Everybody said, oh, Timothy, he's awesome. So Paul wanted to take him along with him on the journey. So he's gonna take Timothy with him. He's gonna join the band of brothers that are on this trip. So (laughs) Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. So he circumcised him. What? Are you kidding me? (laughs) Now, you've been studying with me, right? Paul is livid with Christians who are trying to circumcise people. Paul, in the book of Galatians, in the meanest of terms, said, these people who want you to be circumcised, he says, he starts out, remember Galatians, I hope they go to hell. Later he says, I wish they'd go to Hawaii and cut their wieners off altogether. You remember this, right? I'm not making this up. He was like, my brother's mad. And he goes down to Jerusalem, we don't have to do this anymore. And they prevail, and finally, finally, It's settled. And the first thing he does is circumcise somebody. It's like, oh. Okay, now <laughs> Apparently they're all a little crazy. I don't know. It's like let's look at why he probably did this. Now the way to clear it up. Now, actually, <laughs> you remember Peter? Peter got in all kinds of trouble with Paul because he was eating with the Gentile brothers, and when the Jewish brothers showed up, he didn't want to eat with them. And you know, and Paul just reamed him about that. I see Peter doing, Paul doing this. I'm going, "Where's Peter, man? It's your turn." <laughs> you yell at him, you know? Hey, wait a minute! I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's easy to figure out why he did it. The reason he did it is because they always went first to the synagogues and to preach the gospel to the Jews. So Paul is not as as contrary as this seems. He's not being contrary in the sense that he thought that Timothy needed to do this to be saved. He wasn't saying that. He's saying, listen, we gotta go work with Jews. All right, let's just... Do what we got to do here. Again, how do they know? I I, I don't know. I guess they had willy checks. I have no idea. To this day, I'm mortified by this whole concept. Apparently, it's very clear who has been snipped and who has not. I can say with great joy, I have no idea who has and who has not. I don't want to know. I don't ever want to know. I want to go to my grave and never, ever, ever know what your Willie status is. Apparently. (laughs) Do you know why? I don't know. They checked. They literally checked. (laughs) Pastor Joe goes, They checked. Who'd like to have that job? You you think you got a second job because we asked you to change diapers. You know, I would to be like an usher. You know, I'd like to be the Willie Inspector. It's my turn this month. I got to <laughs> check, check the Willies. I don't know. Somebody checked. Anyway, I don't. <laughs> what? New ministry, New ministry at Celebration Church. <laughs> Willie Inspector. Oh, Lord. It's just. Too much to comprehend. So I, I just, I read, I read this and I go, seriously, after everything, they have just been through and all this intensity and we don't have to do this. First thing he does, finds Timothy and he circumcises them. We know why. is because he went to the Jews and apparently they checked. And if you... Didn't pass the test. You weren't allowed to come into the synagogue, right? Yeah, they were very particular. <laughs> oh Lord Jesus, just, you know we think we're weird, man. Oh man. Anyway, I, I I read this and I'm just. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he's circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, and for all, and they all knew his father was a Greek, and everybody knew and. Look, I I probably would have challenged him on it and probably would have dropped dead or something. (laughs) But even in the context here, he's doing it to appease people. Is he not? Is this not what he yelled at them about in Galatia? What do I know? I'm from Green Bay. I don't know nothing. All right, anyway, that's what he does. As they travel from town to town, they deliver the decisions reached by the apostles. And what decision was that? That you don't have to circumcise people. <laughs> Look at Timothy. How much he, he's, I'll catch up. I'm, I'm right behind you. Good Lord. So, I, you know, there's stuff they do in the Bible, and I just go, I don't know. I don't understand. Wait till we get to Corinthians. That gives me a headache. It's like, what are you talking about? So I don't know. You know, I don't know. I don't know. It just... Verse five. So the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew daily in numbers. (sighs) All right, now Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. So they're out here and they're preaching around in here. They had intended to go this way, all right? They'd come back, they revisited the the churches here. They said, but wait, they didn't go to all these other churches. Well, apparently that must have been Barnabas's. They literally must have split it up. All right, you you, you catch these guys down here. We'll catch these guys up here. So after they'd gone through and encouraged everybody and delivered the message they don't have to, and he did, I don't know. So they said, okay, let's go into Asia. We'll preach the gospel in Asia. Hallelujah. Again, they don't need a revelation to go do it. You see opportunities before them, and you just go do it. But the Spirit of God said, don't do it. Ah, now that's interesting. Uh, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit shows up. And I've talked about this many times, but people say, I want the Holy Spirit to guide me. Well, it's, it's the Holy Spirit's kind of like a rudder on a ship. I don't know if anybody ever pilots boats with a rudder. I do. I have actually got good at this last year. I cannot uh, park that boat and not kill anybody. <laughs> Praise be to God. So, But the rudder, if the boat's sitting still, you can just... Do this all day long. Doesn't do anything. It only has effect if you're moving. And much like that in your life. You want the Holy Spirit to guide you? Get off your butt. Go do something. Get involved. Now, sometimes the Holy Spirit will show up and say, get off your butt. As we have seen, sometimes the Holy Spirit will just say, hey, I want you to do such and such. Okay, you have a vision, a revelation. The Lord says, I want you to go to, you know what, then you need to go do it. But that's not always the case. In fact, it's most likely not the case. Uh, what's more likely is what we're seeing here. And it doesn't take long as a Christian, as you're moving out and you're thinking, you know, it'd be a good idea if we do such and such. And man, and you just, something goes off inside. And I don't feel comfortable about this. Uh, you'll hear Christians say, you know, I was going to do such and such, but I don't have a piece about it. Uh, I think that is over-exaggerated, overplayed personally, but what they're trying to say is, you know, I've, something's wrong. I've, it's not that you don't feel a piece, it's that there's, there's a, a disturbance in the force. <laughs> Jesus, use <laughs> a common phrase from the movies coming out again. Uh, literally, in the spirit world, I mean, there, it's like you can feel something. I have had that on uh, several occasions in my life uh, where I was really intent and had plans to do something and it was just like, Man, you could just feel this huge spiritual no. Wow. And then I said, what'd you do? I stopped. I didn't do it. If you really, you know, Jesus said that my sheep will know my voice. When the Spirit of God all of a sudden just blows the whistle on you, you need to stop, okay? If you're not sure, get advice until you can learn the maturity and stuff. But, I would argue when it happens, you know, man. I, I don't know too many people who don't know. I mean, they know. When God blows the whistle on you, you stop. Unless you're a moron. You keep doing it. You get yourself all kinds of trouble. And we have a lot of those stories. <laughs> I knew I shouldn't have done it, <laughs> but I did it anyway. You know? I know I shouldn't have married that moron, and I did it anyway. I, just, well, I know I'm more I should have stopped. Yeah, don't do that. All right. If you did, God still loves you. it hates you, but your life will be more difficult if you keep making decisions that the Spirit of God is trying to tell you don't make. And it, it, uh, if you're paying attention at all, and I would argue you don't even have to be paying much. I, I, my experience is man, when God blows a whistle, man, he really lets it blow through you and you can really sense it. Uh, so anyway, so they were going to go into Asia, but eh, don't go. What do they do? They sat down and cried and said, you know, we shouldn't go do anything until God tells us what to do. Oh, I'm sorry, that's a different version. Uh, what happens is they couldn't go into Asia, so when they came to, they, they stayed in this uh, province of Galatia and stuff like that because God said don't go this way, so they just kept going around. They're going merrily uh, on their way. Then uh, when they came to the border of Mysia, no. Where, where is Misia? This is supposed to be like way over here somewhere. Yeah, where is it? Here? Somewhere up in here, I don't know. This map doesn't have it. But it's up here anyway. They were supposed to go that way, and they were going to go into the Misia. <laughs> Where's Mysia? Somebody erased Mysia. I don't know if they didn't put it on there. But, uh, uh, so what does it say here? They came to the border of Mysia and they tried to enter Bithynia. Is that on there? Here's Bithynia. Good grief. The snake had bit me. The other maps I saw was all here. So and the idea is they were going you know, to go this way. Uh, then they decided to go this way. And there again, when they came to the border, actually, it actually happens up here. The Spirit of God told them no. So if he came from the south, and the Spirit of God says don't go east, and the Spirit of God says don't go north, what do you do? There's only one place left to go. So they kept going west, all right? So uh, so they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas, which is here now. There we can find that. So they're coming out. We're gonna go this way not. so they stay here. They're going, now we're gonna go up here. That sounds like a good idea. No, we can't go, something's wrong, let's not go. So they kept going and they wound up at at Troas. When they're at Troas, verse nine, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, the Holy Spirit comes up and gives him a revelation of clearly what they're supposed to do. Again, the Spirit of God being very active as the boat is moving, all right? So Macedonia is over here, all right? This is all Macedonia over here. So they're here. Maybe he's thinking about going back down or looping around here. He has this, and a lot of times that's when uh, you know, the Spirit of God will show up to get your attention uh, when you're about to do something that you're not supposed to do. And uh, so the Spirit of God, I only assume they're planning go on going this way and also this, they have this vision of coming over here. So they decided to go over there. All right, so after Paul had seen the vision, what's the next word? We. What just changed? See, look at verse seven. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter, all right? Now when we get to verse 10, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready. So guess who joins them? Luke, apparently Luke, who wrote the gospel of Luke, and is the guy writing the book of Acts, was living here. So they come along, and now all of a sudden it changes from they, 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 to we. And, uh, and it starts giving, we start getting more detail in his writing, because now he's an eyewitness to what's going on. So whereas a lot of this other stuff, just kind of just, you know, I, I fill in the blanks my own creative way. Well, now he gets much more uh, detailed. Although at some point we'll find out uh, he gets left behind and they go without him. And then he hooks up with them again and continues the journey. And parts of it are stunningly detailed. Uh, For example, when he has the big shipwreck, you know, without him being there, he would have said, Paul went on such and such and had a shipwreck, but he survived. That's all you would have gotten out of it what we get now when luke joins is this incredible play by play of what happens he's on the boat he's describing what it's like he's describing the wind blowing he's describing how they're measuring you know uh, how deep it is how i mean it's it's really fun when we get to it it really makes good now we're talking really some entertaining writing in terms of historical detail you don't you generally don't find detail like this in the scriptures, because a lot of these people weren't eyewitnesses to what's going on. Luke doesn't, when he does, it gets really clear. So okay, so now Luke joins with them. So they see seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Why? Well, God said, no, 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 we're hanging here and have a vision. Well, God concluded, let's go this way. Uh, Even then, it's a bit of a step of faith. Isn't that interesting? I know everybody wants absolute clarity, I need to know absolutely clearly that what I'm about to do is God's will, and I, I'm not going to make a mistake. Well, you do that, you're just going to freeze, and you're not going to do anything. All right? Just—I don't know of any time in my life that has been the case. It's interesting how often I'm interviewed by other Christian, uh, you know, leaders and organizations and stuff they that. me want to do an interview, and one of the first questions they say, "Well, you know, when did God speak to you to do what you're doing?" And my answer is, he never did. And it's always shocking to them, you know, because I, I suppose, I don't know. I'd be judging to say what I think. I'll shut up. <laughs> but uh, but uh, they're, they're just shocked by that. I said, well, how do you know? I said, well, I, you know, I tell a story that uh, I was here at this church when Pastor Arnie was here and we were in a staff meeting one day and he, like most pastors, was going, oh, these couples are driving me crazy. Who wants to deal with couples? And nobody raised their hand. You know what? That was my revelation apparently, okay? Now, I've also told the story many times how God opened doors and it just became really clear and resources came in and opportunities that you can't even make up. What has happened over, in our lives over the last 10 years is stunning and truly amazing. But that's how we know that God is in it because of all these other things. But I just can't say God told me to do it. I saw an opportunity. There was a need. I could do it. I had the extra time. So I volunteered to do it. You know, just just step out in faith. Don't always just wait around for this mystical voice to come hitting you. All right, so from Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day went on to Neapolis. Samothrace is one of these little islands here. They're heading there. Uh, I don't know if they bypass it or stop. <laughs> Went and stop for gas. <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? He mentioned Samothrace and then they kept going on uh, to Philippi, a Roman colony and a leading city of that district of Macedonia. So it's, a, it's an, an important city, you know, even in Wisconsin. You got a handful of, you know, important cities, you know, Milwaukee, you know, regrettably, Madison. Uh, you know, Green Bay. I mean, there's just a handful of, you know, Wausau, or Eau Claire. I mean, there's a, so it's that kind of a city. It's like, this is, everybody knows. It's where everybody went shopping. <laughs> okay, Philippi. And, uh, and he starts to preach the gospel there. This will be significant because later we will read the letter to the Philippians. All right, so a lot of the names that we start reading now, you're gonna start recognizing are these letters in the New Testament. The letter to the Ephesians, you know, uh, the letter to the Corinthians, the letter to the Thessalonians, the letter to the Philippians, all these things. Of course, Timothy, who's along on this trip, this is where we get the Bible that's in your hand or, you know, at home or whatever you do uh, on your iPad. This is the scripture. This is the New Testament. These are the New Testament things. By the way, anybody know what country this is today? It's Turkey. And then, interesting? A country now that today is absolutely dominated by Muslims and stuff. At one point, this was the heartbeat, the center of Christendom. Uh, in fact, when we get to the book of Revelations, which will be the last book that we get to, and yes, I will actually go through it with you, Uh, you know, a lot of the letters, I think all the letters are to all these churches that are in Turkey, uh, which is really interesting. So, um, all right, anyway. So, they go off and they go to uh, Philippi. So now they're in Philippi. Now, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river. Now, we assume that, I mean, because everywhere they went, they always went to the synagogue first to preach the gospel to the Jews. Paul was very conscious of that all the time. And then that would open up our opportunity to speak to non-Jews and stuff like this. So we assumed that he'd already done this and maybe it's the afternoon, I don't know. But on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We just wanted to find a place to get alone and, and just pray. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloths. That's what she did for a living. Uh, It was like really fancy cloth at that time. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart and responded to Paul's message. So she was a worshiper of God, but then he comes and starts telling her the gospel about Jesus. Now, you have to really understand, this is really kind of radical for the culture of that day they didn't think much of women. Women were, you know, counted with the sheeps and the goats. Uh, and in Judaism, I mean, to this day, if I understand it, in a very strict Jewish temple, women aren't even allowed inside. They have to sit outside the gate and they can look in and see. You know, it would be like on a Sunday morning, all the men could sit here, but the women could have to watch on the screens outside in the uh, foyer. I mean, that was, it was Christianity. As much as you know, the women's movement, you know, in the 60s started screaming about Christians, oh, they have to submit, you know, totally misunderstanding what Paul was saying. We'll get to all that. Uh, you know, they, they try to pro- project Christianity as this oppressive thing to women. It was far from anything. It was the great liberator of women at this time, and it lifted women up. You remember Paul wrote in, in his letter to Galatians, there's no difference between men and women. That was radical, you know, uh, we are all the same in Christ. We are all children of the king. So he comes and they, you know, they don't dismiss these women or say, eh, you know, get away from me. I mean, he, he uh, engaged them. Of course, they'd learn from Jesus in the gospels. What did he do to the woman at the well? He engages her. Remember, he said, why are you talking to me? The woman, that's what the woman said. Why are you talking to me? That's what he'd be talking to me. But Jesus engaged her, talked to her. Uh, so anyway, so they get out there. There's a bunch of ladies. They're out at the ladies' place. And they start preaching. So she becomes a believer. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. I don't know what the husband thought. It doesn't say. Uh, It's just that she was obviously a wealthy woman. When she said a dealer in purple, she's a successful businesswoman. Has a nice house, nice place. God bless people like that. And as long as they're generous and she was generous to them, said, you know, come stay at at my place. So that's what they did. Now, once, and he just starts telling the account now, once when we were going uh, to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave, consistent, because that's where the ladies went, right? Apparently he'd go out there to pray and these women of the city would come and they were preaching the gospel. A lot of early Christianity was sparked very much by female believers, uh, especially in these Greek areas because actually the Greeks were more thoughtful towards women, and they had more, more of a say, more so than from where they came, okay? So, one day we're going to the place, and there's this female slave. She's there. Now, she had a spirit by which she predicted the future, and what they, when he says they had, she had a spirit, apparently she's like demon-possessed spirit kind of thing, and the spirit that was in her was, Yeah, you know, I'm sure it was real creepy, but you know, being tied into the dark forces and stuff like that. She could, you know, communicate with the dead and tell the future and all these kind of things. And these guys really like they're, they're the slave owners of this chick because they owned the chick. Which you know, we don't have slavery today, but uh, well, we got Mastercard. But uh, uh, we got <laughs> slavery. They owned this lady and. They realized there's something really weird about her, but yet she had this really strange insight and people loved it because people were, it was a dark world. They were trying to find answers and hope and have meaning. As many people today too, you see people who go in these weird dark arts and stuff like that. I know it's easy to condemn them and yell at them and say, look, they're unbelievers. Uh, You don't need to be getting on them. They're They're hungry. They're trying to find something. Better that we interact with them and share the love of Christ with them. Give them the good news. Amen. You can find the answers to life in Jesus. You don't need to go to the, you know, lady down on Main Street there with the palm reading and all this other kind of stuff. Doesn't mean you need to be out there protesting them and acting like idiots. All right. So she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. So these guys liked this chick being possessed, and she had, to, you know, they didn't really understand what was going on. I'm sure they just knew she had an uncanny ability, and people came and they basically rented her out. And they mean it says a great deal of money. So she must have been really good at it. So she followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Now, is what she's saying true? Yes, they were servants of the Most High God. Were they telling them how to get saved? Of course they were. Uh It says, she kept this up for many days and finally Paul became so annoyed. Okay, wait a minute. Again, it's just the way they write. You find out more detail the more you read. You know, if I'm writing this, I'd say this chick was going around going, these people are servants of the Most High God! These people are servants of the Most High God! It was irritating. All right? She was proclaiming the right thing but just doing it in an incomprehensibly irritating fashion. So everyone, oh, they're servants of the Most High God. I tell you, I didn't say that. So this keeps up for days. I'm surprised Paul had the patience. <laughs> for days. He finally became so annoyed. It was so irritating. She wasn't going, these people are servants of the most high God. I'm sure she was. Going, so he gets annoyed, he turns around and says to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ. I command you, for the love of God, come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit comes out of her, and now she's just a normal girl. Well, that's a great story, right? She's finally set free. I'm sure it was a tormenting thing. She wasn't in control of her own facilities, faculties, facilities. And then, uh, you know all of a sudden, she's, she's normal. Praise the Lord. Well, now, when the owner's Realized that their hope of making money was gone, they were not happy. So they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. And they brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Now, we don't know that they were advocating anything that was. Unlawful at the time. At some point, it actually does become uh, unlawful for Christians to gather, and that's when they get the catacombs in Rome. And you know, maybe we'll talk about some of that stuff later. But uh, at this point, they're just drumming up charges. You know, these guys are causing problems and everything else. What they're not saying is, hey, he set this girl free, now we can't make any money off of her. So they trump up these charges and they get everybody just into a, in an uproar. We'll see this over and over again in uh, here. And, and this is now, this is Greece. This is where we're at. So here's Italy, all the Italians, Rome. Now, he, now they're in Greece is what this whole area is. And to this day, people in this part of the world are highly emotional beings. Personally, I find it very entertaining. I do, I love it. It's just, you know. Because you know, it's in my blood, man. So anyway, uh, and actually, it's fun because when we were traveling in Europe, Joe, will remember this? When you're up in Scandinavia, from a Latino's perspective, they're really odd people. It's like they have their personality surgically removed. You know, what I mean, <laughs> they, they don't laugh a whole lot. They're very, and of course, it gets you the Germans. Yeah, yeah, you know, they're very disciplined and everything else. I'm like, ah. But by the time you get down to here, and we're in Italy and everybody's yelling at everybody. And I'll never forget I thought I found my home. This was wonderful. It was glorious to me. I'm sure people from northern Europe coming down would really freak out by being around the Italians and the Greeks, but I thought it was glorious. It was fabulous. Everybody was yelling all the time. It felt like home. Cuz that's what we do at home. It was wonderful. And when they're mad, you never had to wonder. You know, how you, you know are, are you upset? To Latinos, Italians, Greeks, you don't have to ask. Are you upset? Because you know they're upset. And they're yelling and they're attacking. It was so funny because they drive like everybody's on LSD, right? It's hilarious. If you ever get to, I, I think to the state, they're still driving like this. You know how we have like four lanes of traffic? And then you expect four cars to be in a row? In Italy? No, 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 no. There's like seven. And there's every nook and cranny, and they just land it, and when the light turns green, it's like, you know, and they're off, they drive like crazy, these people, they park anywhere. And, uh, and if they smack into each other, which is, as you can imagine, likely, <laughs> they don't just get out and, you know, look at the fender bender and, Exchange insurance cards, and, at least they did in 40 years. They might, maybe they're more civilized than they I have. No, they're not. Okay, so all I know is back then, they scratched it. They would get out and they would scream and yell at each other and pound on each other. And then they get their cards and drive away. Everybody was happy. It was a beautiful thing. It was highly entertaining. Man, they go, I saw people in the marketplaces going after each other with big knives. I'm talking like butchers and stuff. And they're getting in an argument. They're chasing each other. Ah, No one ever killed anybody. It was just, that's the way they expressed themselves. It was highly entertaining. Anyway, as we read through here, we're going to find these are the kind of people. And they would get these people into just uproars and they would just go nuts. So the crowd, verse 22, joined in the attack against Paul and Silas because they got everybody in an uproar. And the magistrates ordered Paul and Silas To be stripped and beaten with rods. Well that sucks. And after they've been severely flogged, now it's bad enough to be flogged. When you're severely flogged, that's a bad day for you. So they're severely flogged and thrown into prison. And the jailer was, was commanded to guard them carefully. So again, all Paul did was had this lady who was so irritating. Going around, these people are servants of the most high God. And he's so annoyed. He finally turns around. He says, to The spirit, would you leave her alone? Ooh, she's set free. And now they're grabbing him, throwing him into this right. Everybody's screaming out. Huh? They arrest them, they strip them down, and beat them with rods. What did he do? You know what I'm saying? I'd be thinking, What did I do? Why are you hitting me? I mean, just, but, and then they throw him into prison. And, and they're sore. I mean, they're, this is a bad day. All right. And uh, so, he said, or, guard them carefully. In verse 24, when he received these orders, the, the jailer, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. So here they are. Their feet are in stocks. We're not talking Brown County lockup here. This is prison 2,000 years ago, it stinks, it's horrible, it's as uncomfortable as can humanly be. Uh, it's a dreadful thing. They didn't do anything, they were just minding their own business when they set this lady free. They beat the snot of them, they are aching, they are hurting. And look what it says next about midnight, Paul and Silas were sitting around saying, It's just so unfair. I don't understand, I, I saw that preacher on TV and he said, God would always bless me. And I don't know what happened because it's not my fault. And I don't know, where's God? Where is God? How come God leave me in a situation like this? Oh, this really hurts! No, that's what would happen today. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing songs to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Why? Because they're thinking, seriously? (laughs) You're singing? How crazy are these people? They've just had one of the worst days of their life. Unjustly being attacked, stripped and beaten publicly and I'm sure they were hitting them with those rods as hard as they humanly could. The welts The stinging, the bleeding, the swelling. In the smelly prison, all locked up, they hadn't done anything wrong. And they're singing songs to God. And these other prisoners are listening going, wow. Wow. I gotta tell you, the greatest testimony sometimes that you'll ever have in your life is when you can stand firm in your faith and still be filled with joy when everybody knows your life stinks. And I know we all hate it when our life stinks. I really hate it. I hate it when my french fries are cold. I certainly don't like when things go really wrong and the finances are wrong and this is wrong and that's wrong and I just fed a hundred new people to other churches in town. Everything's going horrible in my life. My wife's sick. They're telling her she's gonna die. I'm all this and when you can still walk in peace and still walk with a smile, you have no idea what impact. I have no idea. People look at that stuff. They're like the prisoners and they're listening. They're paying. It. What do you like? What do you like when your life goes wrong? You get mad? You point fingers at God? Do you blame God? I don't know why I go to church anymore. I come to church and I gave $20 in the offering and then I got this bill I didn't know I was going to have. Where's God blessing me? I'm never going to give another dime to church. Really? This is your reaction? I'm telling you, the reason the devil attacks some people is because he knows they're just a sitting target. I'm convinced of it. Then there's people who, by and large, don't really get that attack that often. Because the devil knows, why bother? (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? And I gotta tell you, generally, I mean, we've had our moments, but by and large, we walk through pretty unscathed in life. And I hear people every, oh, I'm under this attack, and oh, I have this other attack, and oh, oh, my life's going on, and I just think, really? Why are they always such, because they're such an easy target. Every time they have trouble, they give up. At some point, the devil's going to come give you trouble. Look at you go, oh, why bother? They never quit. They stay full of joy. Now, you're still going to have your challenges, but I promise you, people listen. Not just to what you say, but they're listening to how you live. They're watching how you react. How do you react to things in life? You know, when things go bad, you just get mad start cursing at the top of your lungs. That's not very effective. <laughs> so I'm not a great witness. It's easy to act in a certain way. It's not so easy to react in the right way. And that's where we really build character. And that's when we really find out what we're made out of and stuff and And sometimes, I'm telling you, I believe God sometimes will just let you fry in a a difficult situation. And sometimes it has absolutely nothing to do with you. God's not mad at you. God's not even really testing you. Has nothing to do with you. Why is this happening? Because the other people are watching. The other people, you're going to speak to them. It's the way that God can get other people's attention as, as, a, as a testimony and witness to people's lives. Because like these prisoners, people are listening, they're watching. How are you going to react now after a day like this? And they were amazed that in the, after such a horrible day, they're singing. They're singing to God, praising Jesus. Wow. And then what happens next? It's so cool. And you'll have to wait till next week to see it. All right? <laughs> all right, God bless you all. See ya.